This episode is part of a podcast series titled The Visual Past, which explores art, architecture, and other visual sources for Ottoman history. Make sure to check out the blog post on ottomanhistorypodcast.com to view the images and other materials associated with this episode, as well as find other episodes in the series. Thanks for listening! Hello and welcome to another episode of Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Chris Grayton. I'm Taylan Gingersh. Today's subject is the history of cinema in the late Ottoman period. Uh, there's a lot of exciting new research in cinema in the late Ottoman period in that going beyond, for example, listing the history of films, directors, and, and their subjects, people are actually looking into the uh, socio-cultural context of film in the Ottoman Empire. We had a previous episode with uh, Nezi Erdogan uh, in Turkish that's on our website where he talked about uh, sort of the link between uh, society and spectacle and, and the emergence of cinema in the Ottoman Empire. Today, our guest, uh, Özde Çelik Temel Toman, uh, a doctoral candidate at University College in London, is also going to talk about that uh, socio-political context of cinema in the late Ottoman period through some of her re- research at the Ottoman archives and elsewhere. Uh, Özde, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. It's very nice to have you here today. I'm a fan of Ottoman history podcast, so good to be here. Thanks. Well, it's great to finally <laughs> have you on. So... Our listeners will probably realize that uh, film technology was invented before the fall of the Ottoman Empire during the late 19th century uh, and started to spread during the 20th century. Uh, But that doesn't mean we have a lot of idea about what film was used for in the Ottoman Empire. Probably none of us, we've seen clips of film from late Ottoman Istanbul at most, but certainly never watched a, a film from the Ottoman Empire. So could you talk about how film is entering the Ottoman Empire and in what context and, and sort of some of the, you know, the scholarship that's been written about this topic thus far? Okay, good question. So, as you said, um, it started during the late 19th century, the first invention of the cinema from Cosmorama to Magic Lanterns and then different copyrights of the cinematic devices came up such as Lumiere Brothers Cinematograph or Edison's um, uh, Kinematoscope or Vitoscope. Uh, there were a number of different um, cinematic devices and these were mainly uh, function in different terms unlike today they, these devices were at the same time a projector mm-hmm. camera and operator so uh, people could make films could screen films and also use it uh, for for shooting films as i said uh, making films and in the late ottoman context uh, we know that uh, it came through western merchants to the ottoman lands mainly western european and uh, from us uh, especially during the early years uh, of the uh, history of cinema and most of the operators were originally from france uh, uh, there are a number of sources that we can follow this, such as Lumiere Brothers operators. Chromio uh, came to Istanbul in 1896, and then French um, o- operator, again, Francis Dublier, uh, came to Istanbul and some of the, some other parts of the empire uh, in 1899 during his world tour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, um, there's an important name, uh, French inventor, engineer, uh, Victor, uh, Pierre-Victor Contensusa. So... Mm-hmm. He also screened films in Istanbul and other parts of the empire from uh, Jaffa to Damascus. And when you say screening films, what type of films are these? Are these like short, silent films or... 
good question. Yes, they were short, silent films, uh, approximately between one and two minutes, not longer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were actualities, newsreels, travelogues. So what uh, mainly uh, spectators saw on the c- curtain was um, a different way of understanding modern world, like um, uh, Lumiere Brothers' uh, film of um, Arrival of the Train mm. uh, to the station or Spanish bullfight. So you could see all these different worlds onto the screen. Also, there were some propaganda films and political films, such as uh, the views uh, from uh, different uh, battlefields mm-hmm. or depicting uh, some leaders, political leaders, mm-hmm. such as the jubilee of Queen Elizabeth or Russian Tsar's uh, arrival to the train station. So there, there were, um, in the early period of cinema, there were actualities, newsreels and travelogues, and of course comedies as well, later on, uh, arrived to the Ottoman lands, Ottoman spectators, and we have a number of memoirs indicating that we can um, reach this information from those memoirs of Erjumant, Ekrem Tolu, Sarmet Muhtaralus, or Burhan Arpad, even uh, film producer and cinema owner Jamil Filmer wrote uh, his experiences. Mm-hmm. So, uh, most of the time, uh, spectators, uh, Ottoman spectators, like others, um, had an experience of modernity, uh, having a, getting a grip of uh, modern world, the speed, uh, because these films were also running very fast, mm-hmm. so th- because of the... Um, features of the cinematic device. Mm-hmm. Of course, they had to watch it in a dark room. And these devices were either working by uh, electricity or generator dynamo or uh, different types of uh, sources, power sources, such as ethyl oxygen burners uh, were also being used. Uh, I'm not sure. Qu- I'm not quite sure uh, how it was used in the devices, but at least in the rooms, people could smell the, mm. <laughs> the smell of gas, um, right? So a different pleasant. cinema house or different venue than we can imagine today. Can I pick up on the uh, newsreels you mentioned? Were these foreign newsreels that they were initially brought in or were they then produced in the uh, the Ottoman Empire as well? When we talk about newsreels, uh, most of the uh, Ottoman spectators watched, of course, foreign ones. Um, mm-hmm. I can't really um, go to the origins of these films, where they were coming from, but until the First World War, I think most of the Ottoman spectators uh, could reach films from Europe, mm. from France, mm-hmm. England, uh, Germany. After the war years, U.S. became uh, more visible uh, mm-hmm. throughout Europe because of the war, of course. And um, there are different sources, such as in the Orkham, uh, Ottoman archives, um, uh, we come across uh, this source about uh, Yildiz Pal- what kind of films, which newsreels mm. uh, S- Sultan Abdul Hamid II ordered, such as um, uh, one of the films uh, was about uh, Ch- China's political, mm. current political conditions, because I think uh, there's Boxer Revolution in 1899-1901, yeah. so uh, from the sources we can follow that Abdul Hamid ordered uh, to the different embassies, different officers right. at the embassies to send these films. So there, are, uh, those are mainly newsreels about the political conditions of different countries from east to west. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, when you look at the list of the films, there are different uh, countries are listed. Of course, when we say newsreels... Um, uh, it may be even about uh, a country's sources, right? Uh, agriculture or tourism or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, any uh, exotic views as well could be watched onto the screens or animals. <laughs> so uh, one spectator, if, if you go to, let's say, you, uh, Thailand, are going to a 
second screening in, yep. let's say, Askeri Museum Film Theater, right? There is one in Sultan Ahmed uh, around 1910s. So I may be wrong about the date, but it's opened up later on. Okay. And when you go to this theater, you would start watching a drama. Mm -hmm. uh, the titles would vary. And then um, you would watch newsreels and then a comedy for a one or two minutes. Mm. So a number of comedies would be screened. Of course, this would be not only for a film screening. Beforehand, there would be a concert mm. or there would be a theatrical show, any performing art. And of course, when you're watching this silent movie, someone may play a piano. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. 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 You would like to have that, right? <laughs> it's, it's a different uh, type of world than today. Well, right, yeah. When you think of cinema today, it's almost like it's more narrow, um, more... Uh, less flexible format. Obviously, people aren't going to movie theaters watching newsreels. I mean, um, maybe documentaries sometimes, but... Yeah, there was this tradition of uh, screening newsreels before the main uh, yeah. list of films, especially in 1930s as well, mm. in early Republican years. But I mean, the point is, like, people uh -huh. can have a general engagement with the outside world through the cinema. Yeah. It brings some news, it brings some entertainment, uh -huh. it brings something of the exotic, perhaps, from afar. Exactly, mm. so exactly. So provides whatever, a variety of functions. Yeah, whatever was available would be onto the curtain screen, yeah. And that's a similar format that uh, we would possibly see in, uh, in, in Europe as well. Um, there are some examples. Yes, Europe, even in Iran as well. Like mm. um, I think Hamid Nafis's work is a good example uh, when we look at different countries because there is more parallelism between Ottoman society and Iran, I guess. Mm. So uh, he mentions in his book about the artisanal era of cinema, there are four volumes. Uh, I'm talking about the first volume of his book. So he mentions about these open-air cinema houses. Mm. And uh, in terms of spectators, there is a segregation which was similar to Ottoman case. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, people could eat chew gums. Uh, I don't know if there was chew gums, but chewing gums, but at least they could eat <laughs> outside at the uh, theater. And the film screens, um, I think um, the content of the films uh, would be the same since um, uh, distributors might have had a limited number of films. So it would yeah. go from one place mm -hmm. to another place. So, uh, and um, if we focus on the similarities between Ottoman and Iranian case, I guess, yes, there would be a drama, then um, a comedy or a newsreel. Mm. Uh, so the list would vary, of course, but there are similarities between this uh, exhibition practices and, of course, film content. And so our listeners are probably getting excited about some of the work you've mentioned here. We've got a full bibliography on our website about film uh, outside of the Ottoman Empire. Of course, these comparative perspectives as well as available articles uh, mm -hmm. in English and Turkish that are available publicly. We've got links to all of that. Um, so, Ozde, as we move to maybe some more specific questions, uh, especially pertinent to your own research, uh, I know with the study of especially early cinema, there's a real issue of how do we access materials, especially films themselves, visual materials. Uh, these are mm -hmm. rare. A lot of them have been lost. Uh, and I know a lot of your own work has uh, uh, focused on researching uh, the history of cinema in the Ottoman Empire, indeed at the Ottoman Archives itself, uh, which is interesting. I, I wouldn't necessarily assume there's going to be a lot at the Ottoman Archives. So why don't you tell us about you know, what information is out there and, and what you've been able to, to glean from some of those archival sources? 
Yeah, that's a good topic to talk about because um, I want to get some attention to the archives as well in terms of writing the cinema history of Ottoman Empire. So when I first started this topic, I did the same for my MA research and undergraduate research project. When I was talking to a prominent historian that... Um, I told him that I was working on Ottoman cinema history. He said, oh, was there Ottoman <laughs> cinema? <laughs> so furthermore, when we talked about the archival materials, then <laughs> our conversation got deeper and deeper. So there are archival materials at the Prime Minister Ottoman Archives, and um, I think so many historians are using those. They started using those. One of the first one is, I guess, uh, Ali Özyar. He's a passionate uh, archivist, he, and we nourish from his works from Bob, uh, such as Babi Ali's cinema Osman's uh, uh, Osmanlıca cinema serüveni and um, of course he's mainly doing transcription and writing small pieces on this um, my work is about the regulation of cinema so when I started looking at this um, I was uh, along with the secondary sources and couldn't really get a grip of what I was looking for so I looked at the archives and there are hundreds of sources and I mentioned this in my, in one of my articles published in 2013 I guess Prime Minister Ottoman Archives so I also share in that article uh, some of the available sources uh, for the curious uh, cinema historians or for students mm -hmm. to look at, to look for. So, so the Prime Minister Ottoman Archives is very rich uh, for the writing of cinema history in the late Ottoman context. Uh, there is sources from Ministry of Interior or Foreign Affairs or Yildiz uh, Palace mm -hmm. records, some sources about um, film production, circulation, and as well as distribution or applications at the customs office to bring cinematic yeah. devices to the empire. And um, uh, Nezih Erdogan uh, from Shahir University also had a project. He looked at some of the sources from press mainly mm. in Ikdam, cinema, po cinema Postas, uh, and some other uh, cinema journals of the time. And... He, he he has a number of uh, materials written on this too, and I think he's coming up with a new book uh, from this work based on this uh, Ottoman translations. So uh, archival work is starting to be the turning point in the writing of cinema history. Mm. Uh, uh, yes. So let's let's open that up a little bit more. Uh, you're, you're saying that the the Ottoman state's main interest in cinema, quite naturally, is regulation, right? regulating the materials the the cinema operators also maybe censorship we would assume mm -hmm. uh maybe regulating the spaces of cinemas mm -hmm. so based on your research could you uh tell us about some of the maybe socio-political questions that arise out of the introduction mm -hmm. of cinema mm -hmm. in the ottoman empire so um when, when it first arrived of course uh, the use of it was limited due to the infrastructural problems, the use of electricity. In Istanbul, there wasn't electricity everywhere. Of course, that was an issue. At the Yildiz Palace, there was electricity power and at some of the embassies. So operators applied to the uh, customs or uh, related institutions of the Ottoman Empire and asked for permission to screen films. Mm. And number one question was the use of electricity. Number two, uh, of course, uh, fire incidents because of the content of these films, which was nitrate chemicals, mm -hmm. uh, n not only in Ottoman Empire, in other countries as well, this was an issue. Uh, while uh, screening the films, 
there could be an incident of fire. And this was very common in Russia. Uh, I guess Yuri Zivan writes about it. Um, film screenings were stopped because of this, because a number of people died during right. the screening. So Ottoman officials were also concerned about this, mainly technical issues. And then, of course, film content uh, was an issue. So Gayri Jai's görüntüler, like... Um, mm-hmm. Some of the uh, images were found inappropriate, such mm. as uh, such as screening the image of a sultan. Like there is a case in 1902 in Mersin, um, an operator named Dimitri uh, wants to show these films, uh, which contained um, uh, images of European leaders and the image of sultan. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lazis. Exactly. Yeah. You know, his death is kind of controversial. It, it is said that he was either committed suicide or he was killed. So um, a spy reported back to Istanbul and saying that uh, police forces stopped film screening. Why? Because during second um, during the reign of Sultan Abdulhamid II, it wasn't uh, accepted to screen uh, portraits or images of the sultans onto the screen in public settings. Right. Of course, um, the use of imagery or portraits by the sultans was common, starting from the uh, Sultan Mahmoud II, and Abdul Hamid made also use of photography for his yeah. albums, but this was a different case because it was going to be screened at a tavern, at a gazino mm. in Mersin, in front of other, um, in front of Uh, spectators and along with other European leaders. So again, film content was an issue. And of course, uh, propaganda became an issue. Um, and we all uh, can reach these sources from archival materials because spy reports are also be, were being sent to the central administration, also police reports, also any correspondence or telegraph um, uh, notes from uh, different institutions can be reached mm-hmm. at the archives and you can follow a story. Of course, it's difficult uh, getting an idea about those applications and incidents, but when you focus on and when you, yeah. uh, f- uh, when you, Focus on you can get a, nar- a narration from out of it. And, and they describe the film's contents, but also sometimes in their context where they're being shown. So, f- from a historic, historiographical perspective, that's important. Exactly. Um, so you've mentioned perhaps the political aspects, uh, the mm-hmm. political sensitivities of uh, these screenings. But uh, in your writings, you also mentioned that uh, the, uh, the the films being shown should be. Uh, Adaba ve ahlaka uygun that the hayatı aileye terbiye etfal is maintained. Now these are very interesting terms and I perhaps want to ask yeah, what these, these mean to yeah. you really. <laughs> okay, good question. Another good question. This is, um, these quotations are from 1903 cinematograph privileges mm-hmm. uh, which were formulated by Yıldız Palace officials and Sultan Abdülhamid II um, which uh, What do they mean? When we look at these terms, we see the fuzziness of the terms depending yeah, on the context. Absolutely. So, you, as a historian, you need to be really careful and uh, alert what they what do they mean by mm. saying these. And at that point, I look at the examples, cases from archives. Like, um, there's a screening, and uh, at this screening um, in Salonika in 1907, um, you see these films, Anarchistliğe Mütalik, Filmler, yani in other words, it says um, films uh, depicting anarchy or 
or containing images of violence, mm. right? And this is right before the Young Turk Revolution, right? 1907 in mm. Selanik, in Thessalonica. Um, so, so the governor and the police uh, fa- find those images detrimental or harmful. Mm. So when we look at, when we compare this case to the 1903 cinematograph privileges, um, we can get the grip of what was inappropriate or minasebetsis mm-hmm. or which uh, films were gairijized. Of course, when you say nizi uh, film, um, which we can translate as appropriate or proper. proper. So it it shows me that any film which would people benefit from could be nizi or margup or or educational value of cinema is being stressed in that context. Yeah. So obscenity was not acceptable. Sexuality was not acceptable. But what, what, yeah, can, do you have a sense of what defined obscenity or, or sexual content? Because um, probably different than yeah. what we would say today. <laughs> so we're talking about an empire, multi-ethnic and multicultural empire. There are a number of religions, but... Uh, the main religion for the state is Islam. So mm. I think there is a reference to the Islamic beliefs and values at this point. Of course, it's it never means that um, films were not acceptable. Of course, Muslims were going and watching the films, yeah. but I think the content uh, was supposed to be according to the Islamic beliefs and norms, such as uh, maybe nudity was not acceptable sure. or you know women dancing uh, in new in short mm. dresses or you know de- with some decolleté uh, would be an issue uh, there is a nice um, piece of Hussein Rahmi Gurpnar he talk uh, it's a story and we uh, I'm not going to tell you all about the story but um, there is a father going for a go- going to see there's a father going to a Kyrgyz show mm-hmm. but instead of Kyrgyz he goes to a film screening and he's <laughs> Sano is also with him. So instead of Karagos, they go to a film screen and then he sends back his son home saying that, oh, you're not allowed to see this. And then mother at home learns this and tries to <laughs> find out uh, what happened to father, what he watched on the screen. <laughs> yeah. So children uh, were not allowed to go to the movies, of course, uh, at certain times at Martinez, Martinez uh, they were able to go. But... Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that they were not uh, attending film screenings. And it's not easy to follow uh, the uh, trace of spectators in terms of uh, different segregate, different sex and gender and age. Mm-hmm. Um, but later on, uh, children's attendance to the movies uh, wanted to be regulated, especially during Second Constitutional Era. There are some sources re- uh, revealing that um, there was discussions about an age limit. Yeah. And it was said like uh, 16 for mm. children to go out in movies because they were the legislators were trying to um, take some models from Europe and in 1915 and 16 we see different regulations especially about audiences attendance to the movies I actually came across uh, a document in that vein and mm. we might be referring to the same thing and one of the things that struck me was that they actually defined they tried to define what's different about a child a child spectator <laughs> Uh, in the document, they said that you know children, they're impressionable. Their 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 brains are different. They need to, you know, I guess, uh, be protected from 
violent images that could hurt them. So you actually see how uh, cinema creates like a, mm -hmm. a confrontation with like these these yeah. changing notions of, you know, what is a child, what is an adult, and you know, even on the level of like uh, human development in this exactly. case. Exactly, all these discussions took place. There's a zone of contestation. Of course, uh, not always uh, there were violent images. As I said at the beginning, there were comedies, there were films uh, uh, for children. There was educational films as well. But it became an issue of health as well because these images were flickering right. and it was creating a hardness on eye. And also uh, different venues that were exhibiting the films uh, were not always good places for children to go to be so, yeah to be well, you said one film was in a tavern so tavern or the first film screening took place at a pub in galtasaray at sponek pub um so there were open air cinemas especially during the month of ramadan and summer oh, really? time so mm -hmm. and so that must have been a different that that must have been a family affair, open air cinema. Yes, cinema was a family affair time to time as well, especially during the month of Ramadan and um, during some festivals as well. Of course, at uh, educational settings, at schools as well, mm. uh, it was used uh, especially at some police schools or teachers' schools during constitu constitutional era. Also, the state owned some of the cinematic devices so they could screen films for the children yes okay. i i wonder if you can talk a little bit more about the 1903 privilege that you've translated mm -hmm. yeah these privileges um contains 26 clauses and um, it was inscribed by Yildiz palace officials and the sultan and, I, and it's it's uh, it's in a form of contract but mm. in the document i can't see a second signature or there are stamps on right. it when you look at the visuals of it but i'm not sure if it was uh, practiced like other privileges of theater or other sorts of performing arts and of course, um, before Ali Özyar also published on this topic, the cinematograph privileges. So there are different topics, themes uh, that we can see cinema's development from economical to educational value or the issue of morality mm. in films or censorship and regulation of the cinema. So the first thing uh, comes up to my mind is the second close, which... Uh, summarizes uh, the sultan himself as the commissioner of cinema right and any films made for ottomans or depicting the ottoman empire lands or historical buildings or ottoman uh, ottoman army itself was supposed uh, to be viewed beforehand by the sultan so it is straightforwardly put in this way which is uh, showing us uh, the absolute the power of absolute monarchy, right? Well, it fits uh, very nicely with what we know about Abdul Hamid II's like extensive mm -hmm. photography project, where he specifically tried to photograph the empire, portray it in a certain way, and send those photographs to other countries of the world, mm -hmm. world really controlling the optics surrounding yeah. uh, his empire. Exactly, representation of the empire around the world, and cinema could be used for that purpose as well. That's why. Um, he permitted some of the operators to make films like in 1899, Zygmunt Weinberg, um, he applied uh, to the palace to make and screen films about the Ottoman Empire. And mm -hmm. later on, of course, Zygmunt Weinberg is a figure uh, we have 
in Ottoman uh, cinema history. It's, he's an important figure. He opened up this first permanent cinema theater and he shot a couple of films like um, The Hunting Part at Kyatane. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, this is oppositional to Sultan Abdulhamid II, but the opening up the parliament in Istanbul, he also shot that film. Of course, he has some a number of fictions made... Um, tried to make uh, with Fuat Uskunay, uh, but he couldn't finish those. So there is, uh, we see this uh, royal patronage uh, to films in the Ottoman Empire. Welcome back to the Ottoman History Podcast. Chris Grayton and Tylan Güngör talking to Özde Çelik Temel Tomen about her research on early cinema in the late Ottoman period. Uh, a lot of our discussion has centered around uh, cinema as a global phenomenon that the Ottoman Empire is ga- engaging with, but in fact, we should probably talk a little bit more specifically about the production of films in the Ottoman Empire itself by Ottoman subjects or companies that are that are operating. Uh, in the empire, because by th- that last decade of the Ottoman period, we do see a rise in that activity as well. So, Ozde, where does the story of Ottoman film production really begin? So, when we look at the productions, first productions, we see that, mm, um, as Hamid Nafisi calls Iranian cinema artisanal era, Ottoman case uh, fits into that uh, definition, which was... Uh, we see filmmakers who were multifunctional, who were filmmakers, cinematographers, distributors, and cinema owners, such as Zygmunt Weinberg. Or we see the films of Maneki Brothers in the Balkans. So their first film, as far as I know, was shot in 1905. So there are different ethnic backgrounds, uh, people from different backgrounds making films in Mm -hmm. different regions of the empire. And... Uh, in mainstream Turkish historiography, cinema historiography, uh, there is this um, legend of a uh, film date backs to 1914, the destruction of a monument in Aya Stefanos, a Russian monument in Aya Stefanos, uh, shot by Fuat Uskunay. Yeah. Mm. And this film is accepted as the uh, start of Turkish uh, cinema history. And this film is either lost or damaged. We don't know. Um, it was shot, uh, Fuat Uskunay uh, shot it, but I guess uh, as Nijat Özön indicates, uh, Austrian Sasha Gesellschaft uh, company um, showed Uskunay how to use the cinematographer in front of the monument. So this film, I think, if it would survive today, wouldn't be more than a one-minute silent film mm. showing the demolition of the monument, uh, which was a symbol of Russian Russian power in the empire. So right before the World War War, of course, uh, the Ottoman officials wanted to get rid of it because it was also being used as a church and there were some, mm-hmm. uh, there were some photographs being displayed and sold uh, to the Ottomans. So it, according to the Ottoman officials, it was found inappropriate. Mm. And this is the start of the Turkish cinema. 
when you say Turkish cinema, is that because the director is Muslim? Or, I mean, is this the first Ottoman subject to make a film in the empire? Why, mm. why do people choose this film? Yeah. Because 1914 seems later than the discussion we're exactly. talking about. Thank you for bringing up this. Because, yes, mainstream uh, cinema authors, even the state, Turkish state, Ministry of Culture and Tourism, focuses on that uh, concept, I guess, Turkishness and being Muslim. But before Fuat Uskunay, we have some other Ottomans shot movies. But Manaki Brothers is like, in the Balkans, uh, everyone is trying to, you know, put Manakis in their uh, nationalist uh. historical narration. Albanians claim them, Greeks <laughs> claim them. And of course, some of the writers even here in Turkey claim that they were Ottoman Turks although they were blah. So when we go back to the origins of these people and ethnicity, it's a very complicated story. I don't want to go into details mm -hmm. of this, but it's a, it's a kind of uh, funny, uh, and I guess even I should use worse adjectives, but <laughs> a bad um, point uh, to start the cinema history in Turkey in 1914 based on the Turkishness and religion of uh, persona. Of course, Fuat Uskunar is a very prominent and uh, important uh, filmmaker. Mm -hmm. He made other films um, during the Ottoman era and early Republican years. And when we look at uh, memoirs or some other sources, no one mentions about it. Of course, uh, there are some oral history projects made uh, with his daughters and they don't recognize, they don't remember it. Maybe it wasn't important on during the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, Nizih Erdogan, for instance, I mentioned his uh, Seyir Cinema Archive project. He, he, he told me that he found one source indicating that um, the demolition of the Russian monument uh, was going to be screened at a certain movie theater. This was a news. Uh, so he believes that the film was shot and it will be found one day, either uh, from our archives or in other countries like Russia or Austria, since it was a co-production mm. uh, because such, uh, some other operators from Sasha Gesa Shaft showed Uskunay how to you know, use the devices. Um, yeah, that's a controversial story and uh, mainstream uh, Turkish cinema history starts uh, filmmaking in 1914. Of course, when we talk about cinema history, it's not only about the filmmaking, there is the right spectators, there is uh, mm -hmm. some other issues, distribution of, distribution of cinema. So most of the national cinemas um, start uh, their history by a certain film. Uh, this is done in Greece, this is done in yeah. different countries. So it's not only for cinema as well, in literature and painting. So it's a, a process of... Uh, Claiming a nation, I guess. So, Özde, most of the films that you've described to us in depth have been of either, you know, they're, they're either newsreels or they're of a political function. But what about these comedies? What about these uh, other genres of film that you mentioned? What was the content? And were they tailored for an Ottoman audience when they're being showed in the Ottoman Empire? Are they, you know, yeah. reflecting that cultural context? Absolutely. I think they did. Um they did show the cultural context as well and the population, the Ottoman population as well. So when we look at the first fiction films, um, we have two films from Sedat Simavi dating back to 1917, Jasus, um, mm. Spy and the Claw. Uh, these are adaptations from literature. Uh, Penche is from Mehmet Rauf's the same play, named the same play. Um, it's a satirical critique of marriage. And... There are other adaptations from literature, such as um, Ahmed Fahim's Murebiya Governess, and again, uh, the same director's uh, film called Binnaz, Yusuf Siyah Ortaç's um, 
play uh, based on his play. So when we look at these films, um, what we see is that um, most of the actors are uh, from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. from Ottoman uh, theater making. Uh, like in Murebiye, we have Madame Karitia uh, for playing the uh, governess, and some other actors are also from uh, Jewish backgrounds and Turkish as well. And uh, Ahmed Fahim uh, was an actor. He, he was also performing plays, uh, plays. So he was he was um, already uh, accustomed to these stories. And um, when we look at the first uh, film. Uh, Claw, um, there are some critics uh, dating back to 1918 uh, blaming this film being uh, having a coarse quality. Mm. Like in Temasha in 1918, an anonymous writer wrote a piece uh, criticizing the film. What do you mean, like crude kind of humor or? Um, is, uh, when we say uh, coarse or crude, because it was a... Uh, criticism of marriage, I think uh -huh. that was the uh, way to describe it. Uh, and I think uh, Musin Arturul wrote that piece because Sedat Simavi and Musin Arturul had a dispute, and Musin Arturul was claiming himself in those years. Mm -hmm. He had this first production company, f he founded it in Germany, and yeah. he, he shot his film in 1919, Samson there. And um, so it wasn't seen, uh, it wasn't appreciated at the time, Sedasimavi's first film. And later on, of course, we have Murebi, as I said, and Binaz. Uh, these films, when we look at the uh, pieces written at that period, uh, were welcomed. And they, uh, for instance, uh, again, Galip Arjan uh, wrote about Murebi, mm -hmm. uh, saying that acting was... Um, improved in terms of other films or the cinematography was good and uh, Fuat Uskunay as I mentioned was uh, the cinematographer of these films actually when we talk about fictions um, it's good to share one information Turkish army forces um, has a photo film center land forces photo film center Kara Kuvvetleri photo film merkezi um, this institution just recently shared uh, some of their holdings uh, because of uh, its centennial celebration. So these films are available uh, online as well. So people can reach the Murebiye and governess. Uh, they can see them online. And oh, so the military has collections of not just military films, but... Yeah, they have the fictional films, oh, wow. they have the newsreels. So they were restored by Mimar Sinan University's Cinema TV Center. Wow. So okay. they have a good quality now, except there is a logo right in the middle. <laughs> of course, yeah. This <laughs> so, is the YouTube era. This is what happens. Exactly. So in their holdings, as you said, apart from fictions, there are some newsreels such as 1919 protests in Sultan Ahmed against the occupation of Istanbul. Uh, this film was shot by Jamil Filmer and some other cinematographers at the uh, military uh, film office. So Jamil Filmer mentions it in his memoirs and uh, Land Forces Photo Film Center has just recently shared it. So uh, we cinema historians were not able to reach these sources for a long time. So <laughs> they just shared their treasures, which is good. They sound like very sensitive uh pieces really uh do we know if they were censored or for what audience they were shot for oh yeah 
So uh, in terms of censorship, mm, there's a discussion among scholars in film studies that Governess, the Murebia is is accepted as the first censored film. Right, yeah. What year was it produced? In 1919. So it's during the... Uh, Transitional. The, uh, yeah, the occupation, I guess, the Allied exactly. occupation of Istanbul. Transitional years. And um, Allied forces censored the film. Actually, they... It's. Um, I'm not sure if it should be called as a censor, but um, they banned the screening of the film in different parts of the empire. Mm. So it was already screened in Istanbul, and we know this uh, from Temasha. Um, Igay Arjan wrote a piece about the premiere of Murebiye saying that Hussein Rahmi Puranj um, and the Ministry of War and some other prominent figures, some women audience attended this film screening at the premiere and I'm sure this film was screened at different parts of is in Istanbul. But it was the, as you said, Chris, uh, occupation years and even the opening up and closing um, hours of the theaters or restaurants were strictly mm -hmm. strictly controlled by the allied forces uh -huh. during these years. So, and uh, there's this um, idea uh, among some scholars saying that governess was showing a model of, um, in quotations, bad French women. Right. That's why uh, French forces <laughs> were <laughs> sensitive and they didn't want uh, this okay. film to be screened. But Hussein Rahmi Gurpnar's piece was written, his novel was written beforehand. So, um, when we make interpretations, sometimes we need to, I guess, uh, be careful or know our limits. Well, as a as a big fan of the history of cinema in modern Turkey in the Republican period, this has been a really interesting discussion for me, looking at sort of the genealogy of cinema in Turkey going into the Ottoman past and, and seeing how the earliest uh, ground laid for the reception and production of cinema uh, was carried out. In that context, I think this has been a really nice interview um, I think this has been a really nice overview for our listeners who are wondering about the context within which cinema was introduced. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking to us today. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, for those who are interested in finding out more about the topic, as we've mentioned, Ozde has provided a bibliography that is available on our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com. You can find some of her articles and the other articles and books mentioned in this podcast that will offer further uh, reading material. We've also got a little collection of links. You know, as we mentioned, some of these films are coming to light on YouTube and elsewhere on the internet. So we have a links. We have some links to some examples of films that were either produced or screened in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, the blog is also a space where you can leave your comments and questions. And we do invite you to come join us on Facebook, where over twenty thousand followers of Ottoman History Podcast are. Um, mostly sharing and liking posts, but occasionally discussing the content of some of our episodes, and we encourage you to engage there. Uh, that's all for this episode. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, join us next time, and until then, take care.